Welcome to Leadership Now on Beachhead Media and other podcasting platforms with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a chaplain, a professor, a writer, and a speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. So on this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we're picking up part two of our little mini-series on Great Commission Parenting. We t- did this, ser- this series on the tail end of our episode on the trans wars, and so you can listen back to that. But we wanted to take a more positive look at parenting and speak to what the Bible has to say about that. Now, fundamentally, parenting is Great Commission work, and Christians have been well-equipped by God's Word to do this, to raise disciples. So Aaron, can you give us a brief overview of our last episode to catch listeners up? Happy to. So I want to argue that the fundamental task and goal of Christian parenting is discipleship. So I just, just to make it really clear, it's not about getting people to university, getting them married, getting them into good careers, or just keeping them alive until mm-hmm. they hit adulthood. Although those things are all aspects of, of the parenting process. But fundamentally, what Christian parenting is, is about making disciples. Mm-hmm. And that's that's great commission work. And I think there's some simplicity to that uh, that is helpful for people to hear when they hear, oh, okay, that's good. The fundamental role I have as a parent is to make a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just brings clarity to it. So we need to um, we need to do a good job uh, uh, of that. So um, why does this need to go from? Wh- why do we need to make sure that's important? Because it just uh, there's many people that have multiple goals for their kids, and just just this brings clarity that every task, every conversation. Everything you do for your child, everything you don't do for your child is to push them towards maturing mm-hmm. as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that we've convoluted parenting. Many people think that, well, I can't be a good parent unless I have an ECE certificate or a psychology degree, or I've spent you know, four years studying child psychology, or re- reading every book on Amazon, or reading every book at the local library on parenting. Now, there's lots of people out there that are quote unquote professionals. They give a lot of mm-hmm. professional advice on parenting. Recently, in our own local newspaper, there was an article that said, hey, parents, we need to give kids more green time instead of screen times. They're acknowledging that kids spend too many hours in front of phones and televisions and uh, iPads and, and, and laptops and whatnot. And kids need to get outside more. Uh, the funny thing about that is why do we need to be told that mm-hmm. by a professional? That should be intuitive to every normal human being, that children need to be outside, they need to be in touch with, with creation. Uh, but the problem is, is common sense has been professionalized. Mm-hmm. And we want to unprofessionalize and just biblicize it and help people to see that there's some very basic uh, approaches to parenting that are helpful. And there are some things that parents sometimes do that are unhelpful. But at the end of the day, uh, you can do it with God's help. You can do it. You have the word of God. You have the people of God. You have the spirit of God. You can be a successful parent uh, if you follow God's plans and purposes. And fundamentally, that involves focusing your mental attention and praying that your child will become a sold out disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we covered last week. This week, one of the first questions I want to ask you is, what is the role of the church? It's obviously important. We should be part of the church. But what is its role in this 
So we, we need to define what the church is. So if we're talking about the church institute, the church mm-hmm. gathered, the church as it expresses itself in local assemblies of believers, there is a place for the church in, mm-hmm. in assisting you and helping you to raise your child uh, for the Lord. But what we want to say to parents is fundamentally, it is your job. It is your stewardship as mom and dad to raise your child for Christ. It's not the church's job. Mm-hmm. It's not the youth pastor's job. If something goes wrong with your child, don't blame the youth pastor. Don't blame the church take responsibility. It's your job and your responsibility and you can't pass the buck. So if you're going to have kids and we want people to have kids, you need to realize there's a res- there's responsibilities attached to that and, and you are uh, stewarding them. Mm-hmm. Christ is the owner of your children, but you are stewarding them uh, under his supreme lordship. Uh, the church, however, has a, a, a place to play in, in the raising of kids. So we, we often talk about our spheres of authority and the, the task of the church is also to make disciples. So this is where there's overlap between parenting and the role of the local assembly. Uh, they, they want to, your local church wants to make disciples. If it's a faithfully biblical church, you want to make a disciple. So why would you not uh, join hands with them? Uh, rarely do I see kids that are disengaged from the life of a robust, faithful church do well. Mm-hmm. I was a youth pastor for eight and a half years. I've been uh, a senior pastor, lead pastor uh, since the fall of 2001. So a long time, 30 years, 30 plus years uh, in vocational ministry. And before that, I was a, a lay person serving as a youth leader in my, in my local church. So probably closer to 33 years of uh, time observing young people. Mm-hmm. And God has called parents to raise their children, but he's also called Christian parents to not forsake the gathering together of believers to be part of a local church. So as you parent your kids, they need to be part of a local church. Mm-hmm. I'm going to argue momentarily that I think it's a good idea for your kids to be in school too. Mm-hmm. But putting your kids in a formal educational process, surprise, surprise, is not actually biblically required. The Bible doesn't say you have to send your kids to school. Yeah. The Bible doesn't say you got to teach them math and science and these sorts of things. There's a, there's a very, very, very good reason to do that. But what the Bible does say is you need to be part of a church. So being part of a church is really important. Parents that dilly-dally in terms of getting involved in a church or flake out on churches and spend time incessantly vacationing or on the ice rink or the, the soccer field on or the beach on Sundays almost never raise sold-out followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be legalistic or overly formulaic, but... One of the very best things that you can do as a Christian is just simply to take them to a faithful church. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just did that, uh, you would you would be well on your way to uh, seeing your child grow as a disciple. So what uh, this is part of like uh, the broader question, how do I proactively build a child that is a sold out follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, be part of a church that's on mission to make disciples yep. of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are in a weak church, I often hear Christians like, well, I'm in, I'm in a weak church. My church doesn't speak to the issues of our day, but that's where we grew up. That's where my parents grew up. That's where my great grandparents or whatever grew up. This is just our church. Okay. Well, maybe you can endure that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the question is, can your kids there? I'm all for faithfulness to a local church. I don't think a church has to have all the bells and whistles to be a, a vibrant community of faith. It can be a very small gathering, of people under the watchful care of duly appointed elders. Mm -hmm. Uh, And your child can thrive there. But if your child is weak in its biblical teaching, weak in biblical fellowship, weak in evangelism, weak in discipleship, 
unless you can bring about change now or tomorrow, you probably need to find a church mm -hmm. that is doing a good job in those areas because your kids need that. And God forbid if you stay in a dysfunctional church because you can quote unquote handle it, but they can't and you lose your kids because you overstayed uh, in, mm -hmm. in a very dysfunctional church. I've actually seen this. I've seen people so committed to the address to the name of their local church, to, to being in that church in that location, mm -hmm. that they lose their children to the world because they can tolerate a measure of dysfunction because they've maybe grown accustomed to it, but their children cannot. So making sure your kids are in a disciple-making church of any size, doesn't matter, is really, really uh, important. The whole body of Christ, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 theology, we all have different roles to play. The other advantage to having your kids in a robust community of faith is that you they benefit from the teachers, the shepherds, the evangelists, mm -hmm. the administrators, the the merciful, all the different goals uh, or gifts rather that are expressed in the body of Christ that you may you yourself may not have. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really important. So let me get down to some brass tacks, how this has worked for us. And uh when I give advice in this podcast, I I, I completely recognize you can uh take it or, or leave it. Yep. But I will not give advice to you that has not I has not worked for us. So this the advice I'm giving, uh, if you have any um, appreciation for those that are maybe a little bit older and gone before you, because I'm assuming most people that are going to be listening to this don't have 45 year old kids; they have kids in the home, or at least have grandkids they're they're uh, interacting with. The advice I'm going to give you, I'm not going to tell you anything that I have not seen work. Okay, so yep. Uh, that's kind of my sales pitch to you. Um, here's how this worked for us. If you're going to partner with your church to raise quality disciples, you need to be 100% committed to being involved in your church. 100%. Showing up on Sunday, five minutes after the service has started and leaving just before the benediction is issued is, is not sufficient. Okay. You need, you need to evangelize your children you need to encourage your ch children to be baptized as an expression of their faith in Christ. You need to be regular in your attendance. You need to be serving and you need to be encouraging your kids when they come to faith in Christ to serve as well. Okay. So it's not, it's not this stereotypical North American thing. I'm in church twice a month or three times a month. We just sort of fill a pew. We're just sort of observers and spectators. No, that's, that can be disastrous for your kids because they're looking at you and they're thinking, oh, so passive Christianity is your goal for me, mom and dad. Mm -hmm. No, no. We want you to be actively involved. Yep. Secondly, fellowship. You need to get your kids into a youth group or a small group or a discipleship group. It's really, really important for them to be exposed to other Christians. It will challenge them and encourage them in various aspects of being a Christian young person. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be things that each of us as parents miss or forget to talk to our kids about or overlook that another person or youth leader or mentor will be able to kind of fill in that, mm -hmm. that gap. Having uh, healthy people from your church over at your home, being hospitable, uh, you know, you're having family dinner, I assume, several times a week. Having other Christians in your home also allows your kids to build fellowship and see how other families function. Get your kids tithing young. When they get a job, teach them to tithe. I, I just think it's such a shame that some parents actively encourage your kids not to tithe or just don't even bring it up 
because the idea is, well, you're, you're still in school or you don't have an income. We encouraged our kids from their first paycheck onward to give to the work of the ministry to their first fruits. It becomes a healthy pattern. They're blessed by it. And it shows that they have uh, skin in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, fourth, get them serving. Get them serving in areas of ministry. Uh, many churches have opportunities for young people to serve in the nursery or in the toddler's room or as an assistant in a Sunday school classroom or shoveling snow or mowing grass or whatever it might be. There's lots of great ways for the kids to serve. And I can tell you, my kids have always served their, their earliest opportunities. They've always served mm -hmm. in the life of the church. It just became second nature to them. Sometimes I would see them serving in areas I didn't even know they'd signed up for. I remember walking in the hallway of the church years ago, and I think it was one of my daughters. She was serving, you know, maybe for her first or second time. And I think it was the nursery. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. She never told me that. I didn't yeah. even know she was doing that. But she's serving there and and. And uh, it's just normalize it, normalize service, normalize active involvement in the life of the church and abnormalize passive Christianity. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Talk openly about church life. There's a sermon presumably being preached. Chat about it on the way home. Simple questions for a young, a very young child. Hey, what'd you learn today in Sunday school or in, in church? Um, when they're a little bit older, Hey, there was an interesting comment made in the sermon today. What'd you think about that? Mm -hmm. Or, Oh, wasn't it cool to see such and such back? They've been gone for a long time. They just went through a death or some sort of catastrophic life event. I was so encouraged to see them back fellowshipping with us. Making comments like that to your kids, uh, in a sense, catechizes them in the nature, their view, their, their worldview of what a church is. And it, mm -hmm. it demonstrates your values yep. uh, to your kids. And then don't be afraid of letting other people disciple and mentor your kids alongside you. I was delighted, I always have been delighted, when godly people uh, in our church over the years took an interest in my kids, took them out for coffee, uh, uh, had had them um, serve with them in, in a particular ministry and day camp, took an interest in my kids. There's many, many unsung heroes in our church that I am so grateful for, even many years later that took an interest in my kids. It allowed the kids to see that the church is bigger than mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And it allowed them to have those older uh, big brother and you know big sister figures uh, in the church. You know who you are. Uh, I've expressed to many of you my appreciation and I, and I, I, I continue to be thankful for that. Mm -hmm. Now, um, there are obstacles to uh, regular engagement in the life of the church. If you're, if you're out of town, town a lot, uh, maybe you have a vacation property. Um, again, we're not opposed to vacations, but they are sort of an extra biblical thing. Uh, but we're not opposed to vacations. Um, but why not make an effort every time you're out of town to plug into a faithful church? That'd mm -hmm. be that'd be like basic stuff, right? Yep. Um, vacation is not the time. Let's say you get a cottage up north. Sunday's not the time to sit on the deck listening to an I uh, or a podcast or Christian music as some sort of cheap substitute for church. Get in your car, mm -hmm. drive a half an hour, drive an hour to a faithful church in your community. You're vacationing. Try to plan your flights in and out of country so they're not on Sundays so that you can be in a local church. Mm -hmm. Even in another country, even if it's in a different language, well, there's still a blessing. It's good to expose your kids to that, to see that there's a global church. Yep. There's a church outside of Canada, outside of the United States, outside of the Western world. Um, make sure you 
uh, make that a priority. Sickness, obviously, if you're sick and you're hacking and coughing up a lung, you, you probably shouldn't be in church. You don't need to unnecessarily infect people. Um, or you may have a child with special needs and you may you may need to be more selective in what church you actively participate in, but don't be too picky. Mm -hmm. But you may need to be, you know, extra concerned about that. Maybe you're, you know, you have a child in a wheelchair and you need to make sure you're in a church that has wheelchair accessibility. That's fine. Um, but don't use it as an excuse. My yeah. point is to, to um, bag off church. Uh, sports. Hey, nothing wrong with sports. You know, bodily exercise profiteth little, but it does profit mm -hmm. to some degree. So there's nothing wrong with sports, but just avoid Sunday sports. Okay, just avoid it. It's it's dangerous to sign up for leagues and programs and associations, athletic associations that run on Sunday. If there's a sport in your community that your child is participating in, chances are it's not some obscure sport. Uh, it's a sport that probably many other people in your church are also interested in. Start a Saturday league. Mm -hmm. If your local ice hockey league or soccer league runs Sundays, please avoid it. Uh, get your kids uh, involved in sports, but consider starting a league that does not mm -hmm. impede with uh, public worship. I've told people this over and over again. Uh, very few people, once they're in Abide by my advice. Okay, whatever. I'm not really losing sleep over it. But again, I'm telling you, it's a bad idea. Take it or leave it. I'm not going to argue with you. It's a bad idea for your kids to be bagging off church, to be in a sports environment. It communicates, I think, misplaced priorities. Uh, it's just a bad idea. Mm -hmm. uh, online church is not a substitute and almost further exacerbates this screen time parenting yeah. style that yeah. so many people have bought into. Uh, it's it's semi gnostic to, to have this notion that you can be di have this disembodied relationship with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, rule of thumb: if you're and, and this is maxing it out, like if you're away more than eight Sundays, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. um, you need to be in church at least eighty to eighty five percent of the time, preferably ninety five to one hundred percent of the time. Mm -hmm. But you know we understand that things arise. But if you're even if you're away from church, you know eight times a year, that's you know, probably every five to six weeks, it's a problem. Very simple parenting insight. Okay, kids are imprinted. Think of your your finger mm -hmm. push, pushing into a piece of soft clay. There's an imprint left there. Yeah. Kids are malleable. They're, they're um, impressionable mm -hmm. uh, at a very young age. And they're imprinted by something as basic as your routines, your schedules, and your priorities. Yeah. There's something that makes them feel safe and that catechizes them in the Christian faith when they're taken to church every single week without exception. It's just a very good thing. Mm -hmm. um, they need to see mom and dad do it. That's first level in the present. And hopefully they can also say mom and dad did it. Like in the past, we saw it and we see it in the present. But let's say up till now, you haven't had a good track record. You haven't had a good history. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a problem. Your kids, you're ripping your kids off, but just repent and, mm -hmm. and make a change and take responsibility from here forward to be regularly engaged uh, in the life of the church. Yep. Again, I want to say this, Chris, looking back on 25 years plus of parenting and 30 years plus of pastoral work, the parents that are the most consistent, simply showing up, mm -hmm. get the best kids. 
So something as basic as showing up and staying engaged in a robust community of faith, which again is a biblical commandment, you get good kids out of that. And parents that don't provide that for their children are doing their children a disservice. And at some point probably should apologize to their kids for that. But this Sunday is a new day. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage you, if you're not in the regular habit of actively participating in the life of the church, just make it a uh, go-forward pattern in your life. And your kids will, just from that simple act, mm -hmm. be richly blessed mm -hmm. uh, in, their, in, their, in the process of making them into a fully devoted follower of Christ. Yeah. Get into church. Yeah. I've noticed uh, our kids are quite young. We've told them a couple of the practices that we want to be very consistent in, and they actually... They're very good at remembering. <laughs> so, you know, don't eat before you pray kind of thing. Well, the one, the one morning my daughter took a little nibble of her, her bread before she prayed. And I'm like, oh, you ate before you prayed, but I had food in my mouth. Oh. She's like, so do you. Yeah. <laughs> and then we went back and forth. Anyways, she's, she's very good at calling it out and, uh, yeah, there it's, it's a neat thing, but, um, Okay, I want to transition to a conversation about discipline and instruction. This is uh, this is liable to get you uh, in jail, but your Whatever. kids are old, so yeah. it'll be no problem. What are your views on corrective instruction and discipline? Well, I think they flow from the scriptures. Um, you're a parent. You're not your child's buddy. You're not your child's colleague, your peer or friend. You're their parent, and you have authority over your child until adulthood. This is why in the Decalogue, ch children are required to honor their father and their mm -hmm. mother. And it doesn't say the opposite. Now, we obviously, we treat our children respectfully, but the honor their father and mother implies an authority, uh, a superiority of function mm -hmm. that needs to be acknowledged in a properly ordered home and in a properly ordered society. So discipline uh, is important. Uh, a, a, a child that is not disciplined by his father, is not loved by his father. Mm -hmm. Fathers can take it too far. We're told not to exacerbate our children, but we are called to discipline our children. And in the scriptures, we also have multiple narratives of fathers that messed up, whether it was a little bit of favoritism in the whole Joseph and Judah and his brother's narrative, um, or whether it was the apparent passivity uh, with David and his sons, you know, Absalom, Adonijah, these guys that went off the mm -hmm. rails, uh, whether it's Solomon's sagely advised his son in the opening chapters of Proverbs, there's good examples, there's bad examples in the scriptures. Uh, discipline uh, is predicated upon instruction. So if you're going to discipline your children, you need to predicate that on instruction. Discipline without instruction is actually abuse. Mm -hmm. So to discipline your children... Uh, without instructing them in the things of the Lord is is an abuse because authority is always instructional. When you're in authority, you whether you're a pastor, a civil leader, a parent, when you have authority over other people, there's always going to be a measure of disciplinary authority that you have, but that has to be paired first and foremost to instruction. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that very practically is you don't discipline a child for something you've never instructed them in. So you don't say, you know, you're going to your room, you're getting your butt spanked or whatever it might be uh, because you, you know, ate dessert before the main course. If you've never even told them that those are your expectations. Mm -hmm. So you, you need to instruct at the same time, instruction without discipline isn't parenting. 
So instruction and parenting need instruction and discipline need to be wed yep. together. If you're just instructing your kids and teaching your kids in the Christian faith, but you never discipline them, you're just their buddy. So instruction and discipline need to go together. So you instruct, then you discipline. Even with a tiny little child uh, who is about to do something bad, you say no. You just, mm -hmm. That's one of the first words they learn. Yeah. They'll actually start to say it back to you, by the way. Uh, no. And then you remove them from whatever, hand in the plant, hand in the dirt, pulling stuff off the shelf, whatever it is that they're up to. Mm -hmm. We have little grandkids around and they're starting to do that sort of stuff. So it's like, no, you know, stay away from that plant or no. You know, don't go near the stairs or no, stop opening cupboards and pulling dishes out. So these are the kinds of things you have to instruct them in. Yep. Um, discipline is con con composed of, uh, of several things. Uh, routine. So uh, disciplining your kids and healthy habits. That's part of the disciplinary process. Setting expectations and patterns of behavior for your kids. Routine is really, really important. Secondly, reminders and reinforcement. You have to remind kids over and over and over again. I know that it can be exhausting but when you set rules as a parent you need to be relentless in enforcing those rules so you need to remind them and you need to reinforce those rules the worst thing you can do is say no you can't do that and then you know little johnny does it and then you're just like oh well little johnny you know what am i going to do with this kid yeah. no he needs to be disciplined uh rewards so part of discipline is not just you know spank in the butt but it's also a reward. Hey, well done. You're mm -hmm. encouraging them. Hey, good job. Hey, you listened. Hey, you cleaned your room. Mm -hmm. Hey, you did your homework. Hey, you treated your sister with respect. It's rewarding them. And then it also involves fourth, the removal of rewards. So if one of the ways we discipline our children is we say, okay, well, you're not getting dessert tonight because you mouthed off to your mom or, you know, you're not, you're not going outside to play or you can go to your room or, um, you know, whatever it might be, uh, you know, no, no television, no cartoons on Saturday morning because you transgressed. So there's rewards and there's the removal of rewards. And by the way, we, we see all this in God's discipline of us. He establishes patterns for us to live by. He issues reward, um, reminders and he reinforces that through the prophets. He rewards the righteous. He disciplines the unrighteous. And then of course we have punishment and Punishment needs to be age appropriate. Um, when children are very, very little, a swat in the butt, it's not a bad thing. It doesn't even need to hurt. It's just the, the physical contact uh, between hand and butt is something that startles them and causes them to realize, oh, uh, yeah, maybe it's not a good idea to put my hand in a hot stove or whatever it is they're doing or, you know, pull the, pulling the dog's tail. Um, humorous little story. We used to tell our kids, your brain uh, needs to listen and pay attention to mom and dad. If your brain shuts off, there's a wire that goes from your brain to your butt. We call that your bum button. And the reason why we give you a whack in the butt is because we want to turn your brain back on. So uh, hit the butt, the brain turns back on. You're reminded of what mom and dad said. And there needs to be uh, consistency in that regard. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as Christians, we're opposed to people that are physically damaging their children's body through corporal acts of punishment. So you don't, you're not beating your child so that you're, you know, breaking skin or, you know, breaking bones or, or you know, causing or damage things, yeah. or burning or all that kind of stuff. That's disgusting. Yep. Yep. But a swat in the butt or grabbing the arm yep. or restraining a child or raising your voice, these are wonderful things that 
contrary to what your sociology professor might've told you actually work mm -hmm. and experienced parents find they work and they're not abusive and they should be readily championed um, in, in all of society. It's interesting that when it comes to child discipline, there are many supposed parental advocates that are like totally hands off. We, we can, you can't even send your kid to the room. Well, that's interesting because if someone's breaking into your house or killing someone, you would understand that when the police show up, they can, they have to seize that person. We have something called handcuffs. They may have to throw that person to the ground. They get physical with them to stop the damage. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in, in criminal activity, we understand that there's a need for physical restraint or some sort of physical punishment, if you want to call it that, but parenting on oh, no, all its hands off. And it, it's actually godless. It's actually a godless, um, idea it stems from this this notion that we are blank slates that we are not that we're sort of sin free that we're sort of co-equals as parent and children in terms of our functionality that um you know positive reinforcement is enough mm -hmm. to um shape behavior that um you know it's it's abusive to swat your child these are all lies mm -hmm. okay these are these are all absolute lies and i doubt you would find uh, any child that got a swat in the butt and was properly disciplined as a young child that would say, oh, I felt so unloved. I felt so abused. They have, there's a certain appreciation for that. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, once a kid kind of gets to a point where you can rationally, you know, reason with them a little more intelligently, you know, maybe sort of in the lower elementary grades, I, I just don't really see the, the point and purpose. There's not like a magical number where you stop spanking, but I don't really see the purpose of it at that point in time. Like there's just better things you can do mm -hmm. uh, to punish a, um, let me just say a seven or eight year old mm -hmm. than swats in the butt. Um, but those little guys, <clears throat> a good swat that sort of jars them to attention. They're very kinesthetic already. Yep. They're at a kinesthetic age where they're learning very much from experience. And if they learn, oh, if I um, grab the dog by the tail and the result is I get this jarring little pat on the butt, maybe I shouldn't do that. You know, you're actually saving your child from getting bit by the dog. Mm -hmm. Or if I say, you know, again, don't go near the hot stove and they do and they get a swat in the butt or don't stop opening the cupboards and pulling out, you know, pots and pans and Pyrex dishes, not only because it's irritating because you could hurt yourself and they get a swat in the butt, you're actually protecting them mm -hmm. by your physical contact with their butt and the potential for physical damage to their body through other means. So I, I think there's, um, there, there's, there's definitely a, a benefit to that. So mm -hmm. uh, our discipline uh, is not just reactive, it's proactive. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we think about that even in church discipline. Oh, we're just reacting to someone who ran off on their spouse. No, we're disciplined every time we hear the word of God preached. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're disciplined every time we're encouraged. We're disciplined every time we are given opportunities to serve. It's discipline. It's about shaping and correcting and framing in our behavior. That's what discipline does. So it's proactive. And then when we transgress, discipline also has a reactive measurement to it or aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Speaking to the consistency thing, I remember working on a job site years ago, and this was just a hilarious you wouldn't even believe it's true except it was uh, a father saying to his son i'm going to count to three otherwise you go into your bedroom and he got to like 45 <laughs> he's like one two three four five oh, wow. six wow. seven it's like 
that's not helping your child at all, right? Yeah. So actually, I don't believe in counting at all. Okay. I believe in immediate obedience um, because when you say to a child, okay, I'm going to count to one, and they're doing whatever they're doing that's stupid. And then two, then they're still doing it. And then three, okay, now I'm going to stop. Mm. I never did that. I'm like, you will obey me now. That's, that's it. You do not say no to your father um, ever. You just don't say that. Mm -hmm. uh, my kids were certainly disobedient at times, but I never allowed them to verbalize their disobedience. Mm -hmm. They never mouthed off to me. If they did, they, was, they did it once. You know, mm -hmm. and the consequences were, were serious and they just didn't do it anymore. I, I've said this to people before. I'm, I'm not trying to frame myself up as a tough guy. I just want to demonstrate Christian principles. My kids didn't say no to me. Mm -hmm. They don't say no uh, when, they're, when they're minors. And on the maybe one, one occasion when each of them tried that, that was the last time because mm -hmm. the consequences were serious. Mm -hmm. So like I, I find it to be a, a dereliction of duty when I see parents permit their children. No, Ex excuse me? Yeah, I mean, you might as well blaspheme. Mm. I mean, you might as well drop the F-bomb. Like you did not say no to your mom and dad. That's completely out of bounds. Mm -hmm. It's not appropriate. Um, obviously, the exception to that is if a child was inciting or if a parent was inciting their child to evil. Yeah, you know, to sin. Yeah. Uh, to sin. But yeah. we're talking, we're not talking about that. Um, we're talking about, you know, you will clean your room. No, that just never happens. That mm -hmm. should never happen. That mm -hmm. never happened in our home. Um, go to your homework. No, that just didn't happen. It just mm -hmm. wasn't even permitted. It wasn't even part of the dynamics of our family. Now, let me give you an illustration of how consistency matters. So looking back to my family of origin, we were very physical with one another. I have five siblings. We would fight like very aggressively and very violently. There were, there were four boys and two girls. And, you know, we did things that nowadays, if I saw my kids do that, I'd probably call the police. Like we were hitting each other with objects and throwing each other downstairs and it's crazy to think back um, <laughs> that you're here still. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy to think back, but you know, we get in trouble for that, but it was never really nipped in the bud by my parents. It was, it wasn't appreciated, but it wasn't really dealt with definitively. Um, whereas in my wife's family of origin, there was no physical contact. Mm -hmm. I think, I think I'd have to ask her about this, but I think she said there was either never physical contact or maybe it happened once. You just like the boys never hit each other. Mm -hmm. They just didn't do that. Like it just, in that home, that just was not allowed. And we never, and when we got together and we started having kids, we just said, you don't say no, it's just not permitted. Mm -hmm. So um, my family of origin doesn't have to affect my family now negatively, yep. right? Yep. You can start, the good thing about leaving and cleaving is you get to hit the reset button. Yep. You, you get to reboot, you get to start from scratch and form your own rules. But I can give you an example from Susie's family of origin. There was no physical contact, so it's possible to have a home where kids are not getting physical with one another, but you have to reinforce that early on. And um, the second thing is it's possible to have a home where kids don't say no to you. Mm -hmm. And then you add to that list, it's possible to have a home where your kids don't resent going to church. It's mm -hmm. possible to have a home where um, you know, their kids treat each other with respect. It's very possible. Mm -hmm. um, but we have this weird notion at times somehow that, well, if my family did it, then my kids are destined to it. Let me speak yep. to them. Let me speak yep. to the men and their sons. So this is a, uh, a bit of an interesting balance. So boys are naturally aggressive and, uh, part of biblical manhood is championing in a positive redemptive, redemptive way, male aggression. 
So this clown down south that just shot some people, I think it was at a Kansas football game or something, yeah. he was tackled by two men that used aggressive po aggression positively yep. to take him down to save life. We want our boys to be tough. We want them to be able to defend themselves, their families. Mm -hmm. Part of that toughness can be developed you know, through wrestling or playing hockey or football or arm wrestling matches or some positive competition. So I'm not opposed to that. I had three sons. Uh, my sons are tough men. They can handle themselves and I champion that. But, but I did have to put a stop to physical contact between the three of them when they were very young, because they'd always take it too far. Mm -hmm. And there was also age gaps, right? Yep. So they weren't that far apart, but you know, if one's eight and one's six and one's four or whatever it might've been, those are huge age gaps. And, you know, older sons tend to pick on younger sons. And, you know, there's all these weird dynamics. I know because I had boys myself. So fathers, yes, you want to encourage your sons to express their physicality. You don't want them to be, you know, passive and effeminate, but it's probably not the best idea to allow your sons to be wrestling with one another. They just take it too far. Put them in a wrestling league, you know, have some buddies over and have some sort of a coordinated, you know, WWF wrestling match in the backyard or something. <laughs> but it's generally a mistake to allow your sons unfettered wrestling and fighting and roughhousing with one another. Yeah. They just always take it too far. There's a little bit of cane in every boy and mm -hmm. uh, that wants to kill his brother, right? Mm -hmm. And so you need to kind of exercise some discretion there. We want our sons to be able to handle themselves physically. It's a fallen world. And, you know, it can just be a good form of competition. I myself went too far as a kid. I was the oldest boy. I'd beat up my brothers. Um, you know, you might say, well, you learned to wrestle and you learned to fight. Yeah, but it was sinful. Mm -hmm. uh, my, be my treatment of some of my younger brothers at times might have been, I guess, redemptive if I was protecting one from the other. But more often than not, it was just the jerk older brother sinful. Um, but when I was practicing karate, well, I never felt I sinned on the dojo uh, floor, right? I was fighting, wrestling, guys striking, kicking. Yeah. I wasn't abusing anyone. It was a mutually beneficial physical uh, form of competition um, that wasn't sinful. So there's just a word of caution there for, for men to think, okay, well, I, I want my boys to wrestle because I want them to be tough. Well, it might not be the best idea because there's an imbalance of power and they just tend to take it too far. Excellent. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. Uh, let's talk about some educational choices. So while it's the prerogative of parents to make the decision, how should they pursue this? Yeah. So it is their prerogative, but they are also bound by God's laws. So for example, a parent can say, well, it's my prerogative to, um, you know, send my kid to some school that is teaching antichrist ideology. No, you're, you need to repent of that. So you can't just play the whole, well, sphere, sphere sovereignty, I can do what I want. No, you are accountable to God. So it's common for Christians to think of education as, um, you know, number one, grades, mm -hmm. number two, career, career advancement, and number three, positioning your kids for promotions or accolades or opportunities in the broader world. Um, but that's actually not a Christian view of education. So we need to maybe reprogram ourselves. <clears throat> Christian education is not about the grades. It's not fundamentally about career advancement or positioning your child for success in culture. That is not, let me say it again, that is not a Christian view of education. But you see these uh, 
concepts even come up in local Christian schools. Come to our school because you can earn a government accredited diploma. Come to our school because all of our kids get scholarships at you know the local university. Come to our school because we're noted for academic excellence. Okay, well, good on you. But that shouldn't be, that's not your mission. Sure, surely you know that. That's not your mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in homeschooling options, you know, come here because we'll remove bad influences. You know, we'll protect you from the smokers and the tokers and the, all these nutcases in, in, in the public mm-hmm. educational environment. That's not a sufficient understanding of Christian education. Mm-hmm. Again, I said this earlier, but just to kind of jar people a little bit to reorient the way they think, formal education is not a biblical requirement. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not a sinner because you're illiterate. You're not a sinner because you don't know algebra. Formal biblical education is not a requirement, but I would argue that if you want to shape culture and prepare your kids to interact with culture, it's a non-negotiable on a wisdom level. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's pretty unwise to raise children that are deliberately illiterate. Mm-hmm. It's pretty unwise to raise kids that cannot do basic mathematics. It's, it's, it's unwise not to put your kid through a formal educational process because you are, you are literally ripping them off of all sorts of blessings, including the potential of having a, a meaningful career. So we have to be practical enough thinkers to realize that in this environment, a good solid education is, is necessary but I don't want to put I don't want to put it into the category of some sort of a uh, you know morally necessary like if you don't if your kid doesn't earn a diploma or degree or a certificate that somehow they're they're not a Christian that's 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 false. Um, so parents do have choices to make, um, but we cannot sin in the process of making those choices. You have a child that is your stewardship, and if you do not steward that child towards Christ likeness, and instead you push them towards paganism mm-hmm. through the educational choices you make for them, uh, you put them in a place where they're daily being inundated with Darwinian evolution to the point that you don't have enough hours once they get home to, to um, you know, un, undo the damage, the lies that have been done. That's that's irresponsible parenting. Unfortunately, the majority of the church still does that. Mm-hmm. I think it's Vodi Bauckham that said, if you send your children to be educated by the Romans or by Caesar, don't don't be surprised when they come back as little Romans. Mm-hmm. And it may not be super obvious to you when they're in grade five or six, but when they're 25, you'll see it. Mm-hmm. Their worldview, their priorities will have been shaped by the world. So the goals of education must be discipleship. So let me just challenge my listeners and say this. If the goal of parenting is discipleship, then the goal of education must be discipleship. Mm-hmm. If the goal of the school or educational process that you're putting your kids through is not discipleship, how can you possibly say that you are truly committed to making a disciple for Christ? Mm-hmm. So if if you if you understand that Christian parenting is discipleship, I'll say it another way, then you will put them in an environment where they're being discipled for Christ, or you will oversee an environment where they're mm-hmm. being discipled for Christ. Um, so in that educational process, you want to make sure that the people that are educating your kids also understand your goals and values mm-hmm. and reflect that. That could be you in the, in the context of, uh, homeschooling. I don't really like homeschooling. I don't like that terminology because it emphasizes the location and not the authority. I, mm-hmm. I think we need to start using the term parental schooling, mm-hmm. parental schooling, uh, 
can take place in a home environment. It could take place in a classical academy like we have, a Christian school, some sort of a homeschooling co-op. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does need to be Christian, and the end goal needs to be discipleship. Um, so here's some examples. We want to equip them to think, to read, to write, to deliberate, and to calculate. We want to equip them with a general knowledge of the world that w- that needs to be part of their mm-hmm. educational process. We need to equip them to learn and to interact with diverse groups and people because they're going to be exposed to a whole lot of ideologies and worldviews, and that shouldn't surprise them. They should be prepared for that. We want to provide opportunities for them to have their values reinforced through the school or and and not in spite of it. Okay, mm-hmm. you, why would you send your kids to a school? Uh, you know, they might be teaching, teach them reading, writing, and reading, writing, and arithmetic, but everything else is corrupt and you got to undo all that. Like who has time for that? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you want to help them to discover their God gift, given gifts and talents to ultimately glorify God and study as unto a Lord, not study for the grade. That's not a sufficient reason to study. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I did, I did, well, I suppose back in our day, we, we didn't have junior kindergarten, so if I were kind of do the math here, I went to kindergarten. That's all it was called back mm-hmm. then. And then I did, um, you know, 12 years of, um, of education and then nine more of Bible college and seminary. So, you know, we're talking about north of 20 years. And um, <clears throat> most of that was, I, I need to get a grade. I need to get a grade. I need to get a grade. And you're, you're taught that it's about getting the grade. What's mm-hmm. my report card gonna say? And then you realize that's not sufficient. Mm-hmm. I could have learned more, better. I could have learned, I could have had a more integrative form of education if I realized what the end goal of it was. Mm-hmm. It's to be to think more like Christ, right? Mm-hmm. To see the world through Christ's perspective. So what premium do, do, do parents place on that JK to, let's say, grade 12 education? Every philosophy, every, every, every educational institution, including our own here at the church, has its drawbacks, mm-hmm. right? But in your area... I think it's important for parents to reasonably assess the strengths and weaknesses and how they tie into discipleship and then track how your kids are thinking and how they're bearing fruit rather than their grades. Mm-hmm. So if little parental tip, when your kid drops their report card mm-hmm. on the kitchen table, be careful about what your reaction is, right? Because if they're doing very well, meeting expectations or failing expectations, there's probably going to be a reaction from you. Hey, wonderful. Well done. Awesome. This is great. Check this report card out. Or man, I'm disappointed. I can't believe you flunked. So there's going to be some sort of a reaction. Mm-hmm. But if that reaction exceeds or even is equal to your reaction when they demonstrate the fruit of the spirit, mm-hmm. when they demonstrate service and generosity and, and, mm-hmm. a, and a passion for Christ, you are actually communicating to your child what your true priorities are to them. And they will think, oh, mom and dad's main concern for me is my grades. Mm -hmm. Even though they might say otherwise, their reaction says that's what matters most to them. It's the same with with parents who brag about their kids on social media. So let's say your kid, you know, is, is awesome at ballet Mm -hmm. or, um, is, is, is very successful, uh, in hockey or whatever it might be. And you're plastering, you know, these photos on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram or whatever of, you know, your kid winning some tournament or getting some prize and reward. 
but you never brag on them for uh, the spiritual fruit that they demonstrate, mm-hmm. the kindness that they demonstrate, the passion, the, the fact they stood up against a lie at school. That is communicating to your child your true priorities. Your true priorities are not verbalized. Mm-hmm. Your true priorities are manifested in your responses yep. to what your children do. So we need to be super careful about that. I mean, on a related note, it's kind of like saying to a little girl, you know, mommy and daddy's main priority for you is that you would love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and serve from all the days of your life. But then all they ever hear from you from then on in is, wow, you're pretty, you're beautiful, you're pretty, you're beautiful, you're pretty, you're beautiful, you're pretty, you're beautiful. So you're saying you're you're more concerned with the internal Mm -hmm. dynamics of that child, but your compliments are all geared toward their external appearance. Mm -hmm. Your words don't matter much. You will be creating a child, a daughter, that believes that her identity is in her appearance. Mm -hmm. And and that's also a... um, critical mistake. So remember you're raising adults, not kids, and you oversee the process. You don't control the outcomes, but God will use you in shaping those outcomes for his honor and glory. And that, that statement there allows us to take full responsibility for our our children, but not play the role of God. Cause we, we want to pray as well that the Lord would change the heart and do the work that we can't. But the primary tool that God has chosen to use in this uh, material world of ours uh, to get the job done is you mm-hmm. as mom and dad. And don't underestimate the, the dramatic impact that you can have upon your kids and that they will transfer into generations to come. Awesome. That's some really good stuff. Okay. So for the last chunk of the podcast, how about we take some time and look at some best practices for each age group of kids. So let's yeah. start maybe with like the, the two to six year olds. So I got to think back. It's been a <laughs> long time, but um, a, f- a few things that come to mind. I want to try to give, you know, three or four or five key best practices for each stage in age. So when we're talking about two to six, um, let boys be boys and let girls be girls. You'll probably go to jail for that, I suppose, for saying that. Mm-hmm. But um let boys be boys and let girls be girls. Don't expect boys to be civil. So it's it's okay for your son to have rips in his jeans. Uh, of course, that's cool nowadays, but let's say it wasn't cool to have rips in his jeans. Uh, it's okay for, for him to wear um, secondhand clothing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to have great hair. Um, and sometimes he's going to have food on his face. Like in other words, they're... I think some moms, and again, I don't want to offend the moms that are listening, but I think sometimes mothers are too concerned about the external appearance of their children and they want their child to look like some sort of a glamour boy or some sort of a a child model because they think, well, that's a reflection of me. Like if I, if my son goes to church and his hair is not perfectly groomed, or he's not wearing the latest and greatest styles, or he's not at school and he's you know the handsomest kid in the room, that somehow that's gonna make me look mm-hmm. bad. And a lot of young mothers, generation or two down from me, are Instagram, are, are Instagram addicts. They're influenced by these Instagram influencers who you know always have the pictures. The girl always has the broad brim hat, of course, because you gotta have one of those with the you know, perfectly curled long hair. The guy's wearing denim, even though he 
he probably hasn't been near a farm in his life, but he's wearing a denim and jeans. And, you know, the kids are all just gorgeous and they're just lined up there and fam there's a red barn in the background or a horse running by or whatever. It's all this nonsense. It's, it's actually, <laughs> it's kind of, make, it kind of grosses me out actually, because I'm just like, you're such a, you're such a poser. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. Like, that's not, it's not your real life. Um, so anyway, that's just a, a side comment, but I think it's something for people to consider. Um, you know, kids when my kids were, were little, I was conscious of this. Like, I don't want my boys to look too well-groomed, okay? Like, there's going to be things they do, the dirt, the wrestling, the torn clothes. That's, that's part of being a boy. And I think you get a better man out of that than a boy that's sort of protected from his environment. Sometimes they'll do things you don't get. We used to go to this cottage up north and maybe all three of them, I don't remember if it was two or three of them, they would wade out into the um, the bulrushes and lily pads where there were leeches to deliberately get leeches on their feet oh, to then bring them back, <laughs> to pluck them off, to put them on a hook, to fish for fish. And I'm like, seriously, guys, like that's gross. But, you know, they'd come back with leeches on them and then sprinkle salt on them and pull them off. And I'm like, well, it's kind of gross, but... <laughs> I think I'm going to get a better man out of it, <laughs> okay. you know, long-term. He's good fisherman. If, if, he can, if he can handle leeches, you know, stuck to his feet, he can handle um, the government, um, you know, for a long time. <laughs> That's good. Um, torn pants, resting in the yard, le learning to put worms on the hook. Uh, there's a little invasive fish called the goby mm -hmm. yep. in the Detroit River. And uh, actually all through bodies of water around Ontario. And if you catch it, you're not supposed to throw it back in. You're supposed to destroy it. So one of my sons, I think it was Simon and I were down at the Detroit River many years ago when he was a little fishing and, you know, every other fish you pull out is a goby. There's these little chubby fish. And so we would just leave them in the sun to die and they would dry out. And I looked over and he was like stacking and building things out of these little goby corpses. And, you know, it probably grows to some of the listeners out, I would imagine, but I must say that's, that's part of being a boy. I'm okay with that. He's just a little kid, little kid. Um, providing girls with godly models and teaching them, I mean, it's okay to nurture. It's okay to play with dolls. It's okay to have, you know, godly, modest examples and just keep them away from the sex pot role models that are mm -hmm. dominant in culture. Even at age of two to six, you know, you'll see little girls looking and fling their hair around or, you know. Mm -hmm want to make sure they're wearing pretty dresses every week. Nothing wrong with accentuating their um, femininity, but be careful, be super careful, be discerning. I don't want my kids to grow up and I don't want my daughters to, to find their value in their external appearance, even though mm -hmm. I, I would regularly compliment them. I still do. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 my adult daughters, I kiss them. I, I tell them they're beautiful. I hug them. I, I'm physically affectionate toward them. These are these are proper and beautiful. This is proper and beautiful conduct for a Christian mm -hmm. father toward his daughters. But I do not want them to think ever that um, my primary interest is is in their appearance. That's good. Um, talk about personal salvation and the need for baptism early on, commitment to the life of the church. I get a handle on their strengths and weaknesses and start to parent them according to their bent. By the age of six, you're going to have a pretty good handle on what your child's per base personality is, yep. maybe even before. Yeah. You know, whether they are more of an intellectual, more of an introvert, extrovert, you don't want to pigeonhole people too much. Some of these labels are unhelpful. They blur and bleed into the next, but you'll get a general idea. Okay. Do I have an athlete, an intellectual, super social, socially awkward, and how do I parent them accordingly? 
And um, I know you're not going to like this, Chris. No, I see. Give him a pet. <laughs> I knew okay. you were going to say it. Give him a pet. Um, I know pets can be irritating, but I, I personally think it's beneficial to give a child a pet, even though it does cost a bit of money. You don't want to get something that's going to break the bank. But there's something about training a little human to take care of another life form mm -hmm. that there's just a whole lot of lessons in there that mm -hmm. I think are are uh, of benefit to them. So, um, you know, you may have allergies. You got to be careful what animal you pick. A goldfish. But a goldfish, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. You got to feed the goldfish. <laughs> Do your kids have goldfish? No. Okay, we have right. guinea pigs. Oh, guinea pigs. Okay. <laughs> and they cost way more than oh, I thought okay. they should. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. But you know what? I, I think it's like getting a kid a part-time job. People say it's going to interfere with their education. No, it's part of their education. Yeah, that's right. And there's something about you know, throughout human history, it's part of exposing kids to creation too. Yep. Like we weren't, the Garden of Eden wasn't a sub, a suburb. Mm -hmm. You know, they were out and about. They were, they were interacting with animal life and kids on farms and kids that are exposed to wildlife. They just tend to have a different view. First of all, they don't turn out to be vegans, <laughs> uh, at least for moral reasons. Um, they're more comfortable with death. They see yep. sexuality expressed between animals when there's reproduction taking place. They have a better appreciation mm -hmm. for God's uh, beauty and creation and God's design. And it's just animals can be fun and fascinating. So I would encourage parents, even if you don't like animals, mm -hmm. to make a deliberate attempt if you have the opportunity to, to to buy your child one so they can learn to take care of something else. We should have like an ethics of having animals that are illegal to buy the bylaws in town. <laughs> chickens when they're, yeah. <laughs> can you like mute your chickens somehow? Yeah. <laughs> so apparently you can get some uh, anti-crow collars for your roosters, but. Oh, interesting. So yeah, probably better just to buy hens. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. What about good practices for seven to 10 year olds? Okay. So this would be the time when they're starting to get into tiffs and fights more with their siblings um, or with their classmates. Be very careful not to fight all your kids' fights for them. Uh, it's probably better to assume your kids are wrong than right. If, if you hear about a fight that took place, and just kind of do some probing. Don't be overly defensive or overly protective of your child when they're fighting or arguing with other people. Help to guide them through that. But if your first response is, I got to protect my little kid, uh, you're probably babying them too much. Um, talk about deep matters of the faith. You can start to have meaningful conversations about all things biblical. I think by the age of 10, I, I would be, I, I don't know if there'd be any subject that I would not feel comfortable speaking to a, a 10 year old about from the word of God. Their mm -hmm. mind is at a point where you can pretty much talk about everything. Soteriology, eschatology, bibliology, the authority mm -hmm. of scripture. I was keenly interested in these things well before the age of 10. Um, moving from teaching them God's word to getting them to do it for themselves. So by in this age category, they should have a regular pattern of reading the Bible and praying. You don't have mm -hmm. to be reading it for them, but you need to oversee that process. Let them know about the dangers and challenges of the world. I don't think any topics out of bounds. If you haven't talked to your kid about sex by the age of 10, you're behind schedule. Mm -hmm. If you haven't talked to your child about, um, you know, the, the poison of the transgender movement, the various antichrist ideologies, a Christian view of politics and education. By that point, you're probably behind schedule. Obviously, you don't need to go into all the details. You can exercise some discretion if you're talking about human sexuality. But that general conversation needs to be had by then because if you're not having it, someone else is having it with them. In fact, mm -hmm. either way they are. Yep. The media, the television, the classmates, whatever, even in Christian schools. And then move from tangible rewards to strong verbal encouragement. Yeah. So when a kid's young, yeah, you know, here's a candy bar, here, here's a bag of chips, here's an ice, here's an ice cream cone, here's a, a dinky car, whatever. But 
people need to learn they're not going to get a physical reward for every good thing they do in life. So by that seven to 10, it's like, you know what? I'm just really proud of you. I, I'm just, I'm thankful that you're my son. I'm thankful that you're my daughter. I, hey, I noticed how you react to that situation. Well done. I mean, that, that's going to take you a long way in life. So verbal encouragement. Um, mm -hmm. Start to pour on the verbal encouragement in that seven to ten uh, age age group. That's good. So then eleven, twelve. I know it's just kind of pre puberty, maybe right around it. Yeah, yeah. And depending on the child, I mean, you could have uh, a, a girls menstruating by the age of ten, That's sometimes true. nine. Yeah. Um, some of them will hold off till fourteen, fifteen, and the same with boys. Like, so don't don't assume that your kid is, uh, you know behind schedule or ahead of schedule in terms of, the, you know, the average for puberty. And I think it, you should be talking about issues related to puberty and adolescence before they get there, not after they're a couple years yeah, into it. For sure. So, um, but aside from that, teaching them at, at that point, uh, and I would say that even bleeds into the previous category, adult skills without supervision. So an 11 and 12 year old is more than old enough to cut the lawn. Mm-hmm without uh, you know, running over their toes, uh, doing some basic cooking, cleaning, uh, shoveling snow, taking out the garbage, putting things together, building things, owning, purchasing and feeding animal life. Uh, they are more than capable of that and they should have some adult-like chores by the age of 11 or 12, if not before. Uh, teaching them about hygiene is important. They're, you know, this is a deodorant stick, use it. You, know, uh, you need to, to wash. Okay, we let you walk around with leeches on your feet, but you probably need to cut it out. Okay. Um, you need to brush your hair. You need to brush your teeth, teaching them about hygiene. Every once in a while, you'll see, uh, like, mo I think most people probably know that, but every once in a while I see a kid that just looks like a complete slob. And I'm thinking you're setting, you're literally setting your child up for social, uh, ostracism. Mm -hmm. Like people aren't going to want to be around a kid like that. Like mm -hmm. brush your teeth, man, or, you know, comb your hair. You should be talking to them at that point about sex, relationships, um, reminding them, no, they're not old enough to date. That shouldn't happen before they're 17. I'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, they should be making their own lunch. They should be setting their own alarm. Uh, they should be getting on the bus or however they get to school. Yep. They should be washing their own clothes. My wife and I chatted about this. <laughs> she said, you know, when... When we were, we had kids in that age group and I said, it's time for you guys to start washing their own clothes. She said, one of the dynamics of that is I wanted to do it. Like I felt that was part of my duties and responsibilities as a mom and nurturing them. And she was a little bit resistant to my uh, insistence that they start washing their own clothes, doing their own laundry. Um, because she wanted to be nurturing. I kind of just wanted to, you know, get him to grow up and frankly yeah. alleviate some of my, my wife's workload. But I think she realized after the fact, that's a good thing. So moms, those of you that are listening that are moms that maybe are score a little higher in the natural nurture camp. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, I don't want my kid to grow up. Okay, I get it. You know, there's, there's a balance between men and women in that regard. But do not delay your child's maturity. Nothing good comes from that. Yep. Okay, you, you need to kind of choke it down a little bit and say, look, I'm raising an adult, not a child. Okay, my kid is just a few years away now. You know, half dozen years or so away from adulthood. And I need to make sure they are able to act like an adult by 18, if not before. Mm -hmm. So giving them those responsibilities is important. Yeah. One funny story for you. Yeah. When I went to Bible school first year, 
I had to embarrassingly ask somebody else how to turn on the washing machine. <laughs> Chris, I expected more out of you. I had changed a head gasket on a car already, but I hadn't. Yeah, you'd already swapped out an engine, <laughs> it's like built a transmissions, house, but built a house. I was like, how does this machine work? Yeah. <laughs> and my roommate was like, seriously? Yeah, well, there's, uh, there was always going to be blind spots. Yeah, okay, it's a but. massive <laughs> laundry. <laughs> Anyways, fortunately, I got married, so I was okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does all the laundry now. Yeah, right. So bad. Julianne, are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the other thing I would just say in this category is um, if your church has a middle school program, which is uh, generally grade seven and eight or six, seven and eight, they're going to start to be participants in that. And don't mm -hmm. let them go in early mm -hmm. and don't let them That's delay good. it. We use those things as a bit of a rite of passage. So it's like, no, you got to wait. It's going to be fun, but you got to wait. And then they're so eager to get into it, right? Mm -hmm. And then in grade eight, you know, I'm outgrowing all these little monkeys and I want to get into high school. No, you got to wait. It's another rite of passage. So these rites of passage where you you force them to not be part of something until they're a certain age is, is very wise. Mm -hmm. And good. they'll appreciate church life, ministry and service, and these kinds of things more. Yeah, it's good. Uh, okay, so now we're moving to teen years, 13 to 19, and maybe you want to break it down for further yeah, than me, that. Let me start with the first couple of years, so 13, 14. So I think at 13, uh, it's important for the parent of the same sex to take their child away on a, a, for a weekend away or an overnight or someplace. We did this with all of our kids. So I had three sons. And uh, we, I think Simon and I went to, to Pelee Island, which is an island out in Lake Erie. Levi and I, I think, went to, I think we went go-karting, if I remember correctly, uh, and then stayed in a hotel. Josiah and I, I believe, went to a hotel in Michigan. And then Susie had the two girls. And at 13, we take them away and we kind of do this, you know, f uh, father-son or mother-daughter getaway. And, you know, it costs a couple hundred bucks, but whatever. And we would say, um, you know, uh, we want to officially affirm that you are a teenager now. And this is significant. You're no longer a, a child per se. You are a teenager mm -hmm. and that's, you're, you're moving toward adulthood. And we just have a chat about their strengths and weaknesses and, uh, you know, make sure that if there's anything we sort of missed up to that point in time, um, we went away. But it was primarily served as a bit of a, a rite of passage, mm -hmm. just a, in their mind now, there's a date, there's a time, there's a place, there's a location when my dad or my mom affirmed that I had moved into a new stage of life. Mm -hmm. And celebrating that and allowing them to remember that, I think is is wise. At that age, they should be picking their own clothes or style, stop buying their clothes for <laughs> them. Um, you may not like what they pick, unless it's extreme behavior, uh, don't worry about it, okay? Mm -hmm. If they come home wearing something stupid, just tease them incessantly until they stop. But um, tongue in cheek, but I did that. And, um, but, you know, kids sometimes wear some things that maybe adults may consider a little bit weird. Every generation goes through that. Who cares? Don't, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't get all worked up about that. Um, they should be at that point taking full responsibility for their appearance from head to toe. Mm -hmm. So hygiene, uh, their poise, the way they interact with others, full responsibility. Teach them impulse control. Um, that should probably start a little bit earlier, but make sure for boys, it's generally impulse control. And for girls, it's emotional control mm -hmm. to stereotype a little bit. And I have no problem with stereotypes because they're generally accurate. Um, boys at that age tend to be a little dweeby and uh, need to be 
reined in a little bit. Like that's not how you speak to girls, dude. Um, you know, that's not how you interact with your friends. You're irritating. Okay. Like think twice before you speak, do your kids a favor that will help to socially adjust them at that age. It's hard to do at 18 mm -hmm. girls. You don't need to cry about everything. You don't need to freak out about everything. Okay. There's a knot in your hair. Okay. The world, the world is still going around. Mm -hmm. Um, just chill out a little bit and depending on your child, like I saw this in my boys, uh, and my daughters, there's different personalities. There's going to be different degrees. There needs to be discernment. This isn't formulaic. There needs to be some discernment exercise there. Mm -hmm. I know you have several kids too, and there's yep. different personalities reflected yep, totally. there. Uh, encourage friendships and, but really stay tuned in to the influences that their friends have on them and guide them. Say, Hey, I noticed you like hanging around with such and such. Do you think that's wise? Mm -hmm. What's that person's spiritual life, life like? Uh, where are they at spiritually? Help them to learn to analyze and assess their friends and to make sure that they are not, um, you know, associating with people that are going to drag them down. Mm -hmm. um, but also not to discard their families. There's that point in your early teens when you don't really want to be seen with your mom and dad in public, but you want to be seen with your cool friends, right? Yeah. And we need to help them to walk that walk. We would say to our kids, look, we want you to value and cherish your peer relationships, but don't abandon your, your parents in the process, mm -hmm. your brothers and sisters in the process. You're not as cool as you think you are. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're not as hip as you think you are. So that little bit of humil uh, humble reminder there that, um, uh, you need to also treat those that have been with you long-term with some respect is important. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's good. Then so you're moving into the driving years. <laughs> yeah, 15, 16. So get them ready to drive a car and get a job. Again, there's exceptions to the rule. Your child is delayed. Maybe they, they have a physical impairment. I understand that. But um, teaching them to drive, I think kids could get, should get driver's licenses as soon as they're legally qualified. Uh, don't delay. Uh, pushing them to get these things, these rites of passage will, will help to mature them. Get a part-time job if they don't have one already. Um, confronting isolationism, almost all of them will pull the stunt. Yep. They're staying in their room. They're on their phone. They shut down. They don't communicate to you anymore. Don't permit that. Mm -hmm. Continue to ask probing questions and don't just beat around the bush. I'm asking probing questions because I want you to be less isolationistic. Mm -hmm. Identify the issue. Hey, I noticed you're isolating yourself. I don't like that. That's not healthy. You need to cut it out. Having those conversations is important. At that point, they should be paying for their own phones or hobbies. Mm-hmm. If they can't afford it, don't buy it for them. Yeah. You know, they're, they're literally two to three years away from being an adult now. Um, weekly parental check-ins or talks. So at that stage, I would uh, have a five-week rotation where every Monday I'd take out a different kid, just myself as the dad and one of my kids, mm -hmm. and we just chat about, you know, what's going on in their lives, with their highs and their lows. Mm -hmm. You know, we go for wings, we go to a sporting event or go for a walk or whatever. Having weekly scheduled check-ins and talks is important. Okay, let me say this. Let me say this, um, mothers, you need to be okay with this. Okay. But I believe at 15 to 16 years of age, prior to that, especially up to about the age of 12, I hate to say this, but the most important parent in some respects is the mom mm -hmm. because she's been nurturing. She's, well, she's been, first of all, she gestated you. Mm -hmm. Then she probably nursed you, fed you, was the main, you know, a caretaker of you when your dad was working or whatnot. And um, moms play a critical role and should not mm -hmm. be underestimated in those early years. But when we get into those critical years where the kid is now really needing to learn a lot about role relationships and channels of authority and male headship 
and mm-hmm. responsibility and worldview. I think that's the dad's primary job. So at 15 and 16 in a properly ordered home, the mom steps back in authority and the dad steps forward to move that child from nurture into that final stage of maturity. You're always involved in the process, mm-hmm. but I would say moms are more important in the elementary years, dads are more important in the secondary years. Mm-hmm. You're both engaged. And then when that child hits 16, it's kind of, you know, even Steven again. But that's an, a, a dynamic that I think few people think about mm-hmm. that I believe is important. And it's grounded in that idea of male headship. You're dealing with more intangible subjects. Um, you're dealing with subjects pertaining more to worldview and independence and again, authority. And your dad needs to role model that well. Now, if you're raised in a fatherless home like I was, okay, well, that's your lot in life. Mom's got to do double duty. It's not going to be perfect. It's wise if you're a single mom to encourage your son to associate with godly men at the church. I had that. We moved around a lot, but there was always godly men that influenced me. It's not perfect, but it's better than nothing. So don't suck on your thumb. Uh, You know, don't curl up into a fetal position because, you know, you didn't have a dad in the mix. Many people have grown up throughout history without a father, but in an ideally, in an ideal world, everyone would have a loving mother and loving father. And if that's true of your household, um, I would just encourage dads to, to really, um, you know, go into to high gear in those mm-hmm. final few years in terms of mentoring and discipling your child uh, through to, to adulthood. Mm-hmm. And would you say that's particularly with boys, especially important, or you say boys and girls, you're saying both. both. Yeah, absolutely. Both, um, girls need to have full access to a father that teaches them what to look for in a husband. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. Now, young girls who had really good dads can sometimes expect too much of young men because they're comparing, Mm -hmm. you know, their husband to the, the men of their, um, peer group, you know, with someone that's twice as old as them. So we need, we need to give young men a bit of a break. You know, you're not an expert out of the gates, nor are young women experts out of the gates. Um, you know, you, you, when you marry, you're compared to your parents, presumably you're a little more immature. You're, you're less experienced, obviously that's fine. That's how life goes. But those fundamental characteristics of male leadership and godliness and being the head of the home, fathers must throw it into high gear, mm-hmm. um, in those latter teen years to make sure that that's those categories are crystal clear in the mm-hmm. mind of your, your son or daughter. Yep. Oh, that's good. And then so fifth, uh, 17 to 18. So now you, you need to have a fully functioning adult. If your kid's 17 and they're not a fully functioning adult, you need to rethink your parental strategy. Um, in all areas of life that last year or two, you're just the safety net, but mm-hmm. they're functioning. It's like a soldier goes to basic training before he ever steps in the battlefield. He may not have actually literally been in combat, but he knows how. Yep. And you just have that little period, that safety net. They're not quite out of the house yet. They haven't, they haven't gone through the whole leaving and cleaving process. But in all areas of life, by the age of 17, uh, your children need to be acting like adults. And one year later, they will become adults. Mm-hmm. And your job is just to be that safety net in that final year or two. It's totally fine for your kids to start dating and courting uh, a potential spouse at that point in time. Do not let your kids date just for fun. Do not let your kids date five years before they want to get married. Tell them to end the relationship. There's just a lot of danger there. 
um, you're to date means I'm ready to marry within one year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Theoretically, doesn't mean you're going to, most people don't marry at 18, mm -hmm. but the reason why we said to our kids, you're not dating till 17. You can, you can like girls and boys it's fine, but you're not dating till 17, uh, is because if you're in a relationship that's Christ centered and you discover, you know, six months or a year in, this is the person I'm going to marry. You don't want to then extend that multiple years while well, I'm going to go to a BA and a master's degree and work for five years and buy a house. The sexual temptation will be through the roof by that point in time or boredom. Um, relationships naturally follow a, a trajectory of maturity and you, you can, um, you know, we all know, and we're not opposed to people marrying later in life, but it's a whole lot harder mm -hmm. to find a spouse and to make sure you're compatible the older you get because you're set in your ways. Mm -hmm. And there's a fine balance here between knowing the person well enough and trusting them well enough to perfectly discern that this is God's future spouse for you, but also not delaying love beyond its maturity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's like spinning the tires, you know, in a parking space with the emergency brake on, but never actually releasing the brake. You eventually burn the tires out and things start to smell. And if you if you if you are in a relationship that is uh, God honoring and you're total on every level, ready to marry, but then you wait years and years and years, it just mm. can poison the dynamics of that and. Uh, I would say one of the main major concerns is the sexual temptation because it's natural for young men to want to have sex with young women mm -hmm. and for young women to want to have sex with young men. And that's reserved for marriage. And when you love someone and you're in a, an, a relationship and you're attractive, you're going to want to head in that direction. Why are we shy to say that? That's mm -hmm. the natural trajectory of life. You put a bull and a cow in a pasture and you know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> so you put a young man and a young woman in a car for 500 dates in restaurants, you know, dating, 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 they're naturally going to want to move in that direction. So, mm -hmm. you know, pardon my analogies for <laughs> cows and bulls. Uh, I had a recent listener tell me I, I overuse it, but um, I might just continue to use them and even accentuate my use of that analogy to, because I like to pester and bother people. But anyway, <laughs> oh, wow. um, so intentionality yep. for career choices at that point, it's like you need to make a decision. Okay, you mm -hmm. need to make a decision. What, where are you headed in terms of a career yep. or future education leading to a career? I would say if you want to look at telling versus asking, you need to start changing the dynamics. So you're, you're telling less and you're asking more. Mm -hmm. You're giving advice and less, fewer commands. So maybe like 10% demanding, commanding, 90% now is asking, suggesting, you know, giving insight and declare. Once they hit 18, you're an adult now. Yep. That's good. Final oh, yeah. stage. They're 19, they're 20, no more telling, uh, advising, unless of course it's a sin issue. Mm -hmm. Then you can tell someone when they're 55 and smarten up, but your, your, your relationship as parent and child has moved now from uh, this commanding sense of authority to a big brother, an older brother, an older sister in Christ who loves them. You'll always be their parent. But your, your job in terms of the parental category, you're not going to like the sum of you, it's done. Mm -hmm. And um, now it's a, a different relationship. And you have to, I would say you need to say that because it, it's hard to sh make that shift in your mind. Um, many moms, especially single moms, 
treat their sons like a, a, a cheap substitute for a father. They confided them too much. This was a mistake I experienced in my own uh, home of origin. Too many responsibilities, too much confiding, too much pressure um, to almost act like a, a surrogate father. It's not healthy. Release your sons, moms, release your sons and mm -hmm. you know, allow them to leave and cleave. And uh, don't get all passive aggressive on them either. Mm -hmm. um, that's really important. There could be a tendency to do that where parents, men, mom and dads do this. They let their kid go, but there's this passive aggressive, weird hinting and demanding. Okay, we're gonna give you this, but you need to give us that. I heard of some friends years ago whose parents uh, were hinting that they wanted to spend more time with them. So they gave them um, uh, an, an, uh, a piece of equipment that would enable them uh, to spend more time with their parents. I won't go into the details. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as they received it and the parents started putting pressure on, well, now that you have this piece of equipment, you need to spend more time with us. That's, that was kind of the deal. No, mm -hmm. it wasn't the deal. You were just giving us a piece of equipment. Um, so don't play those games no with your kids. Attached, don't, yeah. don't, no strings attached, no manipulation. That's gross. Get rid of that. Um, and just remind them you're not responsible for them. So if they're still living in your home, which is fine, mm -hmm. at 19 or 20, it's a gift. Yep. There's no responsibility. You got to pay your way. If I choose to pay for something for you, it's a total gift, just like a stranger giving it to you. So we have to break free of this mindset that somehow parents have this God-given responsibility uh, to pay their kids' way right through university or to you know keep them in their home till they're 25. You don't have any of that mm -hmm. responsibility. Um, if you want to do it as an act of love and grace and benevolence to help along, totally fine. Yep. Totally fine. But it's better for them to know that those blessings are voluntary and they're quote unquote extras. There's no obligation or responsibility there at all. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And when they get to 1920, hopefully they're a fully engaged disciple and you can look back and you can say, we've seen our outcome, right? That's the goal. So That's the goal. And uh, ideally you'll know this stuff before you start, mm -hmm. but if you don't, change course mm -hmm. and um, you will bless your kids and they will be blessed by it. They will mm -hmm. thank you for this. Mm -hmm. I don't, my, my kids, have, I don't think my kids have ever said, dad, you, uh, you know, pushed us to grow up too quick. We want to, we wanted to still be immature. Mm -hmm. And you'll also be blessing their future spouses mm -hmm. by raising responsible men and responsible women. Of course, you always pray in the process that God will also bring, you know, equally responsible men and women into your children's lives that they can marry. Yeah, uh, but ultimately, you just gotta trust them, Lord. That's out of your out of your control. Good stuff. Well, thanks for finishing up part two there of the uh, Great Commission Parenting. Uh, a couple of notes for our listeners. If you've downloaded the Beachhead Media app, you can head over on the app to the questions tab or the contact tab rather. And there's a, a form there. If you'd like to submit questions about this podcast or any of them, you're more than welcome to do that. And hopefully if we get a bunch collected, we can, we can address those on the show. Uh, for those of you that are new to the Beachhead Media app, this is a new app that we have created as a podcasting platform for um, a lot of primarily Canadian content, but also maybe perhaps some smaller podcasts that aren't on major platforms and really is part of our idea of creating beachheads where we take every square inch of creation for Christ and uh, remind creation that he is Lord over it. So this is a, a pretty neat new thing that's out. So please download it. Uh, you can like it and share it out on social media and uh, hopefully it's a huge blessing to you. We hope you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.